Attention listeners, do you ever find yourself struggling to decide what to watch on a Saturday night when you're in the mood for horror? Or perhaps you're trying to round out your own horror film education. In either case, I'm sure you'll be able to make some great discoveries in my 10x10 horror watch list, featuring a breakdown of the 10 favorite horror movies from 10 renowned horror directors. We did a deep dive of the favorite horror movies from directors including Guillermo del Toro, Ari Aster, Jordan Peele, Quentin Tarantino, James Gunn, Rob Zombie, Martin Scorsese, and many, many more. Here you'll find a collection of each director's favorite horror movies, along with quotes about what they appreciated about the films, all in an easy-to-reference PDF that you can download absolutely free. Featuring a mix of well-worn classics and deep cuts, hopefully you'll discover some overlooked gems and look at old classics through new lenses. Download the 10x10 Horror Watch List for free by visiting nicktaylor.com slash horrorguide. That's nicktaylor.com slash horrorguide. One last thing before we begin, and this is my email newsletter, The Howl. The Howl is a monthly rundown of the latest horror news along with my hand-picked movie recommendations, updates from the show, and cool stuff I've recently discovered, all in one quick read email delivered to your inbox only once a month. Easy to read, easy to sign up for, and easy to cancel. Join the Howl newsletter by visiting nicktaylor.com slash the howl. That's nicktaylor.com slash the howl. Welcome back to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. As always, each episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show explores how today's horror filmmakers are getting their movies made while deconstructing their methods and career strategies into practical insights that you can use on your own horror filmmaking journey. This includes creative processes, funding resources, favorite books and tools, key life lessons, and much, much more. Alison Starlock is a writer and director who recently released her excellent feature debut, The Apology, starring Anna Gunn, Janine Garofalo, and Linus Roach. Twenty years after her daughter's disappearance, a woman's Christmas gathering spirals into a suspenseful showdown when an unexpected guest arrives with haunting secrets. As a storm traps them together, past grudges and hidden truths turn merry festivities into a psychological battleground. This film combines horror with emotional drama and overall creates a very atmospheric exploration of guilt, loss, and revenge. I'll tell you that the suspense building in this movie was masterfully done, and I was completely nerve-wracked up until the very end. The Apology will be streaming on Hulu beginning tomorrow, June 16th, and is also available on VOD. In this episode, we'll get into Allison's filmmaking origin story, the importance of putting personal truths into horror, and how she's able to get compelling performances from her actors when they have to go to the depths of the human psyche within the horror genre. Please enjoy this conversation with Allison Starlock. Allison, so nice to meet you. How are you? I'm very well, Nick. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing really good. So, the apology, this movie was very upsetting. Uh, 
<laughs> but really oh, suspenseful boy, so at the same time. Yeah. Um, there were just, just so many like layers upon layers of like, Oh, and then this happens and then, Oh, we find this out. And like, it's, it's a real gut wrencher, but super duper compelling. Um, where did the Thank idea you. come from? It felt like either, I don't know. It felt like it could be factual. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, so I'm curious, what was the inspiration? Sure. Yeah. So it originally came from, um, I'm a big horror nerd and a big, uh, true crime. Um, nerd is the wrong word for that. I'm interested in true crime stories. I think it's the more respectful way of putting that. <laughs> but, um, and one, one night I had a dream about, um, a door, somebody knocking on my door in the middle of the night and I go to the door and there's a man on the other side and he says, I know what happened to your daughter. And it was Christmas. I felt that it was Christmas. Like I could feel like, you know, you kind of see the Christmas lights in your periphery sometimes. Yeah. So it was like that kind of feel in the dream. And I woke up and I wrote it down. And, uh, and then as I started to explore, like, who would these two people be? And mm. what do I want this to be about? Then I realized that it was actually becoming about this sort of a metaphor about um, my experience trying to take care of my daughter who's autistic. Mm -hmm. and um, advocate for her and all these things. And I realized that I had connected with those stories. I mean, we all do because that's the horror of it is right. that you, you don't want this to happen to, to people. But then I also connected to the way that they all, all of these parents, and especially it was so often the mothers, had to be advocates for their kids, like parenting in absentia. Mm. You know, the idea that they had to constantly do like all this paperwork, all this like polite kind of like negotiating with people to right. keep the case alive and to keep people interested and to make their kid a priority in some way and uh, and how that changes you as a person. And, and that was something that I related to a lot in terms of what I have been doing with with my own daughter. And so I really wanted to honor that by doing um by trying to keep the details of that grounded. There's a line in the film where she talks about, I want her to be more than just a face on a poster. Uh -huh. I want somebody to understand who she was, who she is. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and I thought that was like the most respectful thing I could do was to try to tell a story about one of these lost girls and not have it be sort of disposable mm -hmm. or, you know, to really put us through what would it feel like when you have big, hard things, horrible things that happen in your life. How do you, how do you deal with it? How do you find your peace? If that's even possible. Right. You know, what does that look like? So yeah, that's where it came from. Wow. It's, I mean, horror really is the best genre. Cause you can just, you can take any sort of real personal story and metaphorically find, find a horror subgenre that it works with. And you can explore emotions in a very real and raw way in ways that I feel like other genres just don't give you the opportunity to do. Right. I, I agree completely. That's why I always call it the most honest genre. Mm. Because for me, it's like, it, it is like you can explore anything in it. You yep. can talk about anything. You can't be like, sorry, audience, it was a horror film. So if you didn't see this coming. <laughs> right. You can't, you, there's no need to dull any edges. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But it also seems like you can, you can kind of explore in a cathartic way, you know, challenges that you've had through this genre in a way just with the metaphor can work so well. I mean, you, I knew that the, I could tell from the movie that it came from a personal place. I couldn't figure out what the metaphor was, but um, the, the, that personal touch is really palpable. And I can usually tell when the movie comes from a personal place 
from the director. Yeah. Even if the movie. I know. I feel like I, it's the same thing. It's like if, if somebody is coming at it from a personal place, even if it's not the specifics of their life, if yeah. it's something that they're exploring, you can feel it. It makes it richer, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. How were you consciously putting that personal touch into the movie? Because the plot of the movie is not necessarily something you've literally experienced, but metaphorically, you know, as you just discussed, but how were you able to give it that personal touch or was it completely unconscious? Um, I think for a bit at the beginning, a lot of it was unconscious and then Mm -hmm. it become more and more and more conscious. Like there's a lot of things in there that are like, my my father is not Jack. He is not a destructive man. But he is a very narcissistic person. Luckily, he's not online. Um, <laughs> but, but it's uh, it's 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 uh, those kinds of things. And and realizing that I was having access to him because I did know men that were like him, even if they weren't as like I say destructive as he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just like every my one of my fascinations with films is when people do put all of themselves in it. And I feel like, uh, obviously, I have this incredible team of of artists who made this film with me, but it had to come from my obsessions and my my fascinations and my my the way that I look at the world, right? And yeah. So I think those are usually the best movies. It, it comes from your point of view, and so right down to like, there's Christmas tree ornaments and stuff in that movie that are mine. Oh wow! Uh, there's there's pictures of my family on the walls and. You know, those sorts of things like there's there's a lot of that kind of stuff that were um, Kim Sherman, who was one of the producers on the film. She's like my real creative partner on this. And she kept calling it the bookshelves in my mind, like Hmm. why there isn't a dining table in the dining room. Oh, I had a whole backstory about why there's no dining table. You know, like there's interesting. It was all of those details, because for me, that's what's interesting is like realizing every little bit has a purpose and you feel the weight of that. You know, Hmm. you feel like. You can tell the difference between a kitchen that has been used mm-hmm. and a kitchen that has been set. Right? right. And so that was another big fascination. Like um, with our prop master Chase, it would be like, okay, that's a really pretty mug, but like that's not something that we have in this, you know, trying to find all of that detail together was so much fun and so meaningful, really wild to go from being a stay-at-home mom to being on these, on this set. And everybody wants to hear what I think. And it was very wild. You know, That's being amazing. Like, that is actually, you know, either of these are great, but this is what's interesting to me. Like constantly following your instinct. Yeah. 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 And what you touched on, I 100% agree. You can always tell when a set is a set or if it feels like something that's been lived in. And I feel like it's that personal touch. Um, one of my favorite yeah. examples of that is Pulp Fiction. Some of the, the, the um, sets are like, this is somebody's house. This is somebody absolutely oh, lives here. Bet. Like nobody would have a shelf yeah. with a shoe on the shelf as they did in Eric Stoltz's house. Like the taste is too obscure. Um, that was what I was just thinking, especially yeah, the oh, Eric yeah? Stoltz house. And that. <laughs> it's like that is hundred percent has got oh, to be great. somebody's real house. Um, but yeah, the home that you shot in, uh, and it, did you shoot on a location or a soundstage or in an actual house? So we shot on a location, but because it was set in a snowstorm and we shot on location in Los Angeles, we um, required quite a lot of help in terms of, we literally had a business that came out called Snow Business that came and, <laughs> and brought the flurries and the ice to the windows and all of this lovely stuff. Nice. Um, and Tom Obed, our production designer, who was just a quiet, brilliant man, uh, he would just bring all of those uh, details to make it feel real. So for example, the house that we we um, shot in 
had just doors all over the place. Yeah. And in a home invasion locked together movie, that's a challenge. So he was literally building shelving and stuff over doors. Oh, wow. And stuff. A lot of times when you see bookshelves in the movie, it's because there's a door behind it. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so just all of that grounded stuff. But it was pretty cool because it was actually a, a house that was around the corner from where I first had my daughter, mm, like where okay. we lived. Oh, wow. So there was all this personal stuff. And then we also shot the exteriors, all the aerials, all that beautiful snow work, all that stuff is in um, uh, Wisconsin. The good people of Wisconsin. Man, that was fun. Incredible, excited crew there. How were you able to give the house that lived in feeling? Because, again, it did feel very authentic. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you talked about just the intention behind everything. But what was that like working with your uh, your, your set designer? Okay, well, um, one of the one of the big things I started with was um, I started using scriptation on this film, and I would go in and I don't know if you know of that program. No, what is that? But it's it's uh, I would recommend that to directors. You talk about it on your show. You talk about tips um, yeah. for listeners. I was a fan of this podcast before I'm getting to appear on it, so this is very exciting for me. Yeah, thank but, you, Allison, um, for that. Scriptation is this. You're very welcome. And uh, scriptation is a program where you can annotate PDFs. You can annotate, annotate um, your scripts and your notes all stay on the script as the, the revisions come in. So you don't have to keep write, rewriting it all in. But it also like empowered me to really put my full, because I had pulled images for the whole time I was writing it and putting it together. I had pulled so many images of like, this is what I think her couch would look like. This is what I think, you know, the, 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 colors the color palette was very important to me i wanted a lot of primary a lot of color christmas colors a lot of intention behind that tom and i talked about um, douglas cirque movies and the way that color is played within that so i put all of these notes into the scriptation um and tom and i had a lot of really detailed conversations chase and i had a lot of detailed conversations in terms of like this is what i the level of distress that we want on you know on this shelf versus you know, maybe this is a new piece of furniture she's bought to make her like that her bedroom was going to be nicer than mm -hmm. some of the other parts of the house. because We've done that. Right. But a lot of it, it, you know, so really just detailed, like they'd show me here's a whole bunch of photos of things that we found. Is this what you mean? Um, like, for example, the boom box, you know, what is the boom box supposed to look like? What is, you know, showing me the different um, options and going through that. That was so much fun. Oh, just bet. seeing folks take that that idea and run with it and here's all these options and then you choose that never got old <laughs> <laughs> like, let's keep looking at samples of things and talking about wallpaper and you know what does uh what needs to what is the table there was a whole but we had the, one of the hardest things was the table that they sat at hmm. finding the right the right table that looked um like you said distressed not brand new but you know nice enough that she'd keep it not so far apart that they mm -hmm. can't reach each other. Right. You know, but enough to where I really wanted that to be sort of a tableau of this thing he's put her in. You know, we're going to sit and have this conversation in this sort of very formal wide shot yeah. sort of thing. So it was like, well, that had to be, but then I didn't want the curtains to be too nice, you know, because it's like not everybody has like gorgeous curtains just hanging out in their kitchen. Right. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like it was a lot of fun. Very, very cool. So can you talk us through the process of getting the movie made? Like once you had the script written, what were the next steps to getting it actually made and out and now, you know, distributed? 
Yeah, so um, I think, you know, you talk a lot on your show about advice to other filmmakers. I think the big thing I learned through the process of getting this film together, which I'll tell you about in a second, is just um, thinking about the people who are already in your life. Hmm. You know, there's so much emphasis on network, 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 network. But it's really, in my experience, it's much more about cultivating your relationships and coming at it from pure place of like, can you nerd out about something together? Can you help each other together? Like, hmm. can you cheerlead for each other? So Stacey Jorgensen, who's one of the producers on the film, she's with Company X. She and I went to USC together, and then we got closer after we were out of film school, but um, she was a theater student, I was a film student. And um, we made shorts together. I second AD'd on her first feature. Oh, nice. I went to Michigan and slept in a bunk bed. Like, we're, you know, best, like, really close friends. And so when I was like, my daughter's doing better, I'm going to, like, jump out a window if I keep not making things. And I was like, hey, can I show you this script? And if you maybe you could think of somebody who would want to play in the sandbox with me, like would, this would be their thing. And she was like, yeah, of course, Allie. And so she read it. And then she was like, I want to produce it and I want to bring it to my company. And so it was like it was that straightforward in that way. Now, the actual packaging of the film, putting it all together, that was much more complicated. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like now I've got a team of people who have, um, you know, uh, relationships with financiers, who have relationships with agencies, those sorts of things that make the difference for an indie filmmaker. That was this group at Company X, Lisa Whalen, Kim Sherman, and Stacy. And Stacy just had stayed like a champion of me the, through the whole process of, you know, convincing everybody, we know you've never heard of her. We know she has one short on IMDb. But I promise you, it's worth it. You should meet her. And, and it was, uh, yeah, so it was incredible. And they had a relationship with RLJE Films nice. and uh, Mark Ward. And then, funny enough, talk about more fairy tale stuff. Mark Ward's wife and I volunteered at our school book, our kids' school book fair together for years. Oh, wow. There and you I, go. Did not, I did not realize who he was. They were just like, oh, you should meet Mark. He's also into horror movies. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I do need to meet Mark. Oh, wow. Small world. Right, cultivate. It's, it's incredibly supportive. Yeah. Yeah. So very much like exactly. Cultivate. Like think about the people in your life. Maybe you don't know someone at a place like Company X, but maybe just the people in your life, like lean on each other and hmm. don't always necessarily be f so focused on reaching outside of your group as much as it is like supporting each other and seeing you know, um, what's everybody up to? Yeah. Staying in touch. I feel like that's huge. Just nourishing a community, like a tribe, you kind of, it's nobody gets there by themselves, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so that's where it came from. Very, very cool. And this being your first feature in all, um, how long, how long was the shoot? First of all, it was so short. It was 16 days. Oh, wow. I'm sure there's some indie horror that are much shorter than that. But no, that's oh boy, a short one. Yeah, 16 days plus one in Wisconsin. And for our film with that much dialogue and that much action, that was it was a big challenge. Wow. Yeah. So it being your first feature, what were some of the things you did to prepare either than, you know, the normal pre-pro prep of like storyboarding and shot lists and all that? Like what did it being your first feature? What, what were the things that you personally did to prepare for this kind of an undertaking? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I watched a lot of, favorite movies that had continued to be an obsession mm -hmm. while I was writing it. And um, I kept, I kept, um, I made a couple of cards that I called um, North stars 
And it was mm. so that I would constantly, in every decision I made, think about what does this specific movie mean to me? Because it's the kind of movie where you could do a lot of different tonal things with it. You could make the, the central part of it um, without giving too much away. It could be a whole di- bunch of different directions. <laughs> you could go a lot darker yeah. in different senses. With and so just really remembering that I was interested in keeping them very grounded in the way that they talked, but also uh, and, and thinking about their psychology, mm. but also really thinking about um, uh, giving my pers- myself permission to be a bit bigger about some things, mm-hmm. to let the score be as big and beautiful and complicated as it is, to um, to let the design be so rich, you know, and, and just to keep pushing that sort of thing for myself um, and uh, uh, played with my daughter when I could because <laughs> I knew that was going to be something that was uh, going to happen less when we were shooting. Uh, and also playing with my daughter because it was it wasn't just like what I need as a human, but also just remembering like that's what she's craving and missing mm, mm-hmm. through this this whole time is she's missing you know the feel the smell of her daughter's hair you know right. like all of those details like just remembering like my humanity and trying to carry through that and then otherwise just like I said pulling so many ish, I- images from film grab shot deck all that kind of stuff constantly having conversations with all of these fantastic people that I worked with um, Jack Caswell and I who's my fantastic DP he and I, like, I came over to his house and we just, like, you know, I would say, okay, here's my idea for the shot. And he would, like, act it out. And, nice. And, you know, we would just keep making lists in that way. It was so much fun. He's such a bright guy, so full of great ideas. And yet he was so, and yet he was so supportive of, like, what I, what, what do you want, though? What do you want here? Hmm. Um, and, uh and I would ask him questions like, this is what I have in mind, but does it like defy physics? That was sort of our running joke. Does this defy physics <laughs> if we put the camera over here? <laughs> you know, so he, it was uh, it was all of those great conversations like um, Michelle Lane, our costume designer, ta- you know, we she brought her dog over. We sat and we looked at, you know, all of her ideas. And, and I was uh, uh, my big note for her at the beginning was like. This is uh, this is great, but it's too cool. Like you're so, she's such a cool person. Like mm, she has, mm-hmm. a, she has a real talent for fashion. And I was like, actually, I was thinking something more like this nerdy thing. Like the, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year shirt that Gretchen wears in that right. final section of the film. And and she was like, ooh, fun. And she just like completely pivots and does all of this fun, grounded stuff. Um, but the prep in terms of those like. Um, getting comfortable with each of my department heads in that way. Um, and um, uh, yeah, I think otherwise it's pretty standard stuff. Like you say, like the mm-hmm. shot listing, um, I'm an over preparer. Um, and so a lot of like zooms with my actors, we did a lot of conversations Nice. going in depth of the backstory of the characters, helping them understand it because it's quite complex. Like mm-hmm. I put a lot of detail into it and so they weren't weighted down, but so they would understand. Right. So how long has it been since I've been divorced from Julie? And how long, you know. So what were some of those North Star movies that inspired this movie and that you turned to throughout the course of or before making it? Yeah. Um, well, the uh, The Shining, which I think is probably a North Star for lots of horror filmmakers, nice. so it's yeah. kind of almost boring to bring up, really. But for me, the the thing about that wasn't just the look of it, the feel of the isolation, and that sort of thing, but also what I like to call justice for Wendy, 
which is that Wendy Torrance is so often looked at as this sort of meek character. And, um, and I, and I think she's just a badass, but a very relatable one. She's shaking the whole time. She's making mistakes. So just remembering to let Darlene make some mistakes or maybe like just be a little messier with things, have the dance be messier, that sort of stuff. Um, which is funny coming from a movie that is notorious for its ex- extreme, you know, attention to detail and multiple yeah. takes and stuff. Um, the other one, too, which I don't know that anybody but me ever quite understood, but um, Winter Light, Bergman's film. Hmm. Uh, I love, I don't know if you've ever seen it. No, um, I haven't. It's, uh, it's, it's extraordinary because it is very small and it's very sort of dark. It's almost got a noir feel to it because it is black and white. Mm-hmm. It's Sweden. It's in the snow. It's about this priest who's having a, uh, basically a crisis of conscience. He's like, is there a God? Right. Like, what am, what is my point in all of this kind of thing? And, um, and I just really was so, so affected by that movie and, and, uh, especially the relationship between the priest and this woman who is a frequent parishioner and somebody who's in love with them and is like, you should let me in your life. And, and, and I just, there's, there's this, there's this uh, moment where she's literally holding him. And I just always thought of that as like, that was what Jack kind of wished was going to happen mm-hmm. that he, you know, that they were going to have this kind of connection instead of yeah. that it was terrifying for her. Right. So those were a couple of the ones, and also just girlfriend movies. Like I just kept thinking about best girlfriend movies, like mm-hmm. um, girl, literally girlfriends by Claudia Well and Steel Magnolias, and all those kind of. Just trying to put that in a um, or a, or L, the fantastic ending of L, which if you haven't seen that, the, the uh, Paul Verhoeven the movie? movie. Yeah, the Paul Verhoeven yeah, movie. Yeah, that was awesome. The way that 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 movie just twists at the end and becomes this different movie, and you're like. <laughs> I just uh, that was very empowering to be like, oh, can we actually have it then be landing here? It's right, interesting. Nice. So yeah. um, the the performances were great, and it was great to see Anna Gunn. And it was great to see Janine Garofalo in a, a very dramatic role. Um, would love to talk about casting choices, but also were were you able to do a lot of rehearsals? So we were. <clears throat> excuse me, my. Anna was in LA as, uh, as I am. Linus is in um, New York okay. and Janine is in New York, but not even the same parts of New York. So we were never able to get everybody together before we started shooting, but we were able to get Linus and Anna together for a couple of days before we started shooting. So what we mostly did was have long conversations together on zoom and kind of rehearse in that way. And then we did a couple of read throughs over zoom. Mm. And then when we got in person, we were able to start doing a little bit of rehearsal um, in the space and at least introduce everybody to the space before we were able to start shooting. And then we would do blocking rehearsals, of course, that were more actor centric mm-hmm. for each scene before we would actually, you know, we would always have our shot list, our plans. We had overheads, all of that good stuff, but it would be like, okay, now let's see what the actors are doing in the space. See if we need to make any, adjustments mm-hmm. to that plan makes sense so yeah can you talk us through the casting choices because they were fantastic and uh and, and really interesting and i feel Thank like you. they just nailed absolutely nailed the roles so um yeah how did anna gunn and janine Graffala find their way into this movie <laughs> yes um 
my producer suggested Anna. I was a big fan from Breaking Bad yep. and uh, Deadwood, like most humans are. And uh, I just thought she was a terrific actor. And when they proposed her, I was like, absolutely, dear God, yes, please. Um, I wrote cover letters for each actor to to sort of introduce them to me, you know, like they don't know who I am to give them an idea of what I wanted the film to feel like. Cause I think in some ways on the page, one might think that it was a bit, I was concerned that one might think that it was a bit of a, more of a standard thriller than a uh, character drama mm-hmm. type thriller. And so I kind of wanted to give them some ideas of, of that and why I thought they were great fits and that sort of thing. So Anna read the script and read the letter and wanted to zoom with me. So we zoomed, we hit off, hit it off right away. Uh, really connected being uh, both being moms uh, and both, like I say, like part of this dark sandbox, like she'd done a lot of that kind of work before. She's not afraid of it. Yeah. So we, we dove, dove right in right away. And she said, yes, it was, it was like, we got off the meeting. She's like, I'll think about it. And then immediately the agents called and said, she said, yes. Nice. And uh, Linus, Linus, um, my producers had um, worked with him on Mandy company X was, uh, was part of the producers on Mandy. Oh, and I knew so they he looked familiar. That, yes, he plays the cult leader in Mandy, among Whoa. many other terrific performances over the years. But I knew yeah, he was familiar. Blowing your mind a little bit, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he, yeah. So he has a personal fascination, as it turns out, with uh, uh, with uh, these sort of uh, toxic men. These men who sort of self justify. Uh-huh whatever destruction they're doing in their lives, he thinks it's very interesting to explore all mm. of that. The idea of change, how realistic is that? What does that right. look like? So we got on a Zoom. So basically the producers are like, oh, what about Linus? And originally I hadn't thought of him because he's an Englishman. And uh, I was always thinking, you know, Jack's this Midwest guy. And um, I had originally, even though I knew a lot of Linus's work since then, but my brain went, you know, sometimes your brain just goes, this is the first thing I saw them in. And so it sticks in your head. So I loved Wings of the Dove back in the day in Priest, and he's, you know, in mm-hmm. England doing that with his English accent and being all dashing and such. And so um, they were like, oh, but he, you know, he's done all this great American work, so we know he can do the accents well. And and um, and they were like, and you'll love this. He's so nice. He's like you. Like, you're going to bo- both have a nice contest. And nice. so <laughs> it was very reassuring. Going into my first feature is very scary. Like, you're working yeah. with vets and you know, you worry about like about what that relationship will feel like. But he just immediately put me at ease. We were immediately bonding and sharing very personal things very quickly. Um, and he just understood what, what I was trying to explore and was game. And he said yes right away. Wow. Like in the meeting with me, which was incredible. Whoa. Um, I literally went out and bought a cake to celebrate with my <laughs> da- daughter. And then he was so cute. I told him that story because I can't ever make myself look cool apparently and so (laughs) i told him that story about buying a cake and so he came to visit right before christmas last year and uh and he brought a cake wow what a guy what a guy (laughs) what a sweetie 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 and then janine um was my idea originally because uh i'm a big fan and i really i think she's so interesting in um the wide variety of things she's done, even though she is known most for her comedic work for being a master stand up, but that she's also done a lot of different things. She's done a lot of theater work. She's done a lot of different things. And so um, I really liked the idea that I always hoped that we would have somebody who had a comedic background in the role of Gretchen, 
so that she could be kind of um, a bit of a source of light, but also right. so that it's more startling when you see somebody like that quiet and sort of paying, bearing witness. Hmm, interesting. I thought it would be more effective, you know, yeah. like somebody that's usually loud and big is quiet. Yeah. And how like startling, how much that can kind of affect you. Yeah. So, that so came about. when it comes to movies like this, where you're dealing with very, very heavy subject matter performances or everything, and you're working with some amazing veteran actors. Um, but usually when it comes to things like this, the performances will make or break whether or not people take the movie seriously. And they all yeah. clearly slayed it. Um, but what were some of your keys for working with actors in terms of bringing them to these very deep, dark places in a way that was realistic? Yeah, I think I think the main things that I kept saying to them is that I'm not going to um, ask you to go somewhere that I haven't gone okay. and that I'm not going to keep going with you. I'm here with you. I never shied away from tying things into something that I could I could personally relate to so that I could uh, just to try to be like, I know that as actors, they have to find that within themselves. And I felt like there was, I felt a responsibility to equally be as vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have always cried on set and I have no problem with it. I think it's a very patriarchal thing to like try to avoid it, mm -hmm. especially because we're doing creative work, doing yeah. dark stuff. And so it's like letting myself be really vulnerable with them and, uh, and knowing that they were in a safe place for that and always saying to them, like, I'm not always going to get it right, but I'm yeah. not going to move on if I don't think we have. Yeah. You know, like that's my sacred vow. <laughs> you know, like yeah. we will work on it if we have to, but and and you know, luckily because we didn't have a lot of time, but also they're such vets, we didn't usually need a lot of takes because we had talked about it a lot. They knew what they needed to do and we knew that, you know, Anna needed a bit more room for sort of, you know, finding her way through a scene a little bit more. Linus preferred an extra take if possible sorts of thing, you know, just those little things that are just the different ways that they would work together, yeah. uh, work best and trying to find, marry those two needs as much as I could. But mostly it was about trying to talk to them um, about the reality of the characters right? and, um, and also just trying to communicate as well as I could about what was happening, what, you know what angle are we getting next or those sorts of things making sure the ad our fabulous AT, ad team was you know helping me communicate that to them and you know we definitely like had complications from that but like coming at it from this place of like i can i can sort of imagine what it might be like to you, be you right now doing mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. very hard stuff and just continuing to be sympathetic to that and and um and also honoring what it was like for all of us on set, right? Being a part of this dark story, you know. We had um, a fabulous um, um, sound guy on the film, Stephen, who would wear a Santa hat and play a guitar <laughs> between takes. Sometimes, you know, like some of those yeah. things that people would just. And I would encourage people to do stuff like that. Like, you know, we don't want to break people's focus. Yeah. But if we have a time break, let's enjoy it. And remember that we are people first and filmmakers second so that we can bring the, we can bring ourselves to those dark places. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like not, that's not, you know, fill ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. 
What I'm curious about is mostly from the writing perspective, the way that the movie unfolds. Uh, it un- I mean, it's it's very suspenseful. And the way, like the distribution of information throughout the course of the movie seemed very deliberate and very suspenseful. Like you find something out and then you want to find more out and then there's an obstacle and then you have to wait to find it out. I mean, the, the crafting of suspense I thought was expertly done. So I'm wondering how did you, oh, thank you. approach that? Were there any resources? Did you re- like observe the sort of, you know, beat sheet. Um, was there any science involved in kind of calculating the level of suspense and the distribution of information? Cause it was a mystery to a certain degree. Yes. I, I wanted it to be that way because I wanted it to reflect what it would be like for Darlene. Um, yeah. One of the things that you hear all the time with, with families that have the, these unresolved losses is that they just want to know, we want to yeah. know. And so I really want use that as like, again, going back to the North star idea of like, what would she want to know? What would he be willing to share at various times? And also just being cognizant um, of, uh, it's not that I went and looked back at these films, but because I'm such a big movie nerd that it was, I think, a little absorbed already. And then going through and saying, okay, where is it? How long can I wait for this information? Or how long has it been since there's been an important revelation is, is it going to be too frustrating to the audience if they haven't heard anything new yet? Got it. Kind of taking that, and definitely, I'm a big note taker. I use index cards. I write everything out. I do a lot of that kind of visual work. I talk things through with friends a lot. So um, I definitely, there is a science to it in that way for sure, where it's like this, these are the little chess pieces and we got to, yeah. I don't play chess. That's not a good analogy. But it's, you know, <laughs> I get what you mean. The pieces kind of set out. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, very intentional. And were there any books or resources that were particularly helpful for you, either creatively or career wise? Yeah, absolutely. The big one for me, and I think you've mentioned it on the pod, other people have mentioned on the podcast, but I'll give a shout out anyway, which is uh, Judith Weston. Mm. Uh, I love uh, her books about directing because especially the exercises, because I find when you're on set with actors, it's very difficult to remember all the tools that you learn from books or from exercises. Right, before. right. But the, uh, it just kind of your brain just goes, uh, um, faster no um you find obviously better at direction than that but you know what i mean it's like um so but the exercises are great in her books because you're you're it's making you be really rigorous about your own work you know do mm. i really understand this moment because no matter how much you think you understand a moment and everything that will go into making that moment you still are missing pieces like yeah. you will get to those meetings your creative meetings you'll get on set and you will not know the answer right it definitely still will happen no matter how much you've prepped but um, but sh- her books really empowered me to feel like, um, you know, to give me a lot of those tools to really, you know, rip it apart and see what's made behind it and and how to execute it and and all of that good stuff. Great. So that was that was that was a big one. And uh, John Sayles, everything that he writes and has has said in interviews about writing, especially the fact that he said that he often writes in capital letters better stuff than this. When he's stuck on a moment in a scene, hmm. very helpful. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Just that realization that, you know, it's a process and your first draft is going to suck and it's okay because you have to have the clay to make the sculpture, right? You, yeah. Your first draft is make clay in the first place. Don't drive yourself crazy. Move on to the rewrites. That's when you get to the good stuff. And just that freedom to know that that's true. And it's true for every part of the process that you keep finding your movie as you go mm. every step. Right. You know, all the way down into the sound design at the end, you know, every part is you're learning more about what your own movie is. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. 
Well, Allison, yeah. this was a, a real blast. Thanks for being here. And thank you for listening. Um, before we part ways, any parting advice for those aspiring filmmakers out there? Um, I like to think of my new motto, which is why not me? So when you think that you are um, not that interesting or you live somewhere where you don't have access to folks to cruise and things like that, just remember why not you? Like if you've got a drive for you, just just go out there and do it and feel in, in, feel empowered to do so. If you come at it from your heart, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna make something interesting and just call upon the people in your life and get it done, you know, in whatever form it, it may take. Awesome. And I encourage everybody to do that. I want to hear from you. All right. Great place to end. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Nick. Have a great day. You too. All right. As always, here are some key takeaways from this conversation with Allison. Number one, nurture current relationships and collaborations. The opportunity for Allison to direct her first feature arose from an existing contact she had who she originally asked for feedback from on the Apologies original script. This underscores a key insight. While networking and forging new connections is very important, sometimes there's a lot of value in recognizing and nurturing the relationships that you already have. The quest for new connections can sometimes overshadow the potential of the relationships that are right under your nose, those that may harbor incredible opportunities. So don't get so caught up in social climbing. Number two, use star cards. Allison effectively employed a unique tool on her set that she called star cards. These cards acted as written reminders that kept her aligned with her film's true intentions. On a bustling film set, with countless decisions to make and problems to solve, it's very easy to lose sight of the movie's original vision. That's why having something tangible that aligns you to your true north can be an invaluable resource to constantly remind you of the core vision and intention of your movie. Star cards can act as that anchor amidst the chaos, keeping you grounded and focused. Number three, jump into the emotional trenches with your actors. Horror filmmaking, when executed with truth, often demands that actors plunge into deep, dark places of fear, suffering, and violence. This can be daunting, emotionally taxing, and even traumatic for actors. It's crucial then, as Allison points out, for a director to be right there with their actors in their emotional trenches. Allison operates under the principle of never asking her actors to emotionally go to places that she herself wouldn't go. And in the case of the apology, she often shared her own experiences and emotions that were related to the work itself. This practice not only fosters a sense of safety and trust, but also demonstrates to your actors your solidarity with them. Ultimately, this reinforces the idea that you are all on this journey together and in the same foxhole. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening. Don't forget to check out The Apology, which will begin streaming on Hulu tomorrow, June 16th, and also on VOD. Thanks again for listening to The Nick Taylor Horror Show. Hey, guys, one last thing before you head off, and this is The Howl. How would you like a monthly newsletter featuring a recap of the latest horror news, my personal movie recommendations, updates from the show and cool stuff I've recently discovered. If this sounds like something you'd enjoy, sign up for my monthly email newsletter, The Howl, today. 
You can sign up for The Howl by visiting nicktaylor.com slash The Howl. That's nicktaylor.com slash The Howl. Howl.